This is the Laravel News Podcast, your one-stop podcast to find out about Laravel-related news, tutorials, packages, and more. Here are your hosts, Eric Barnes and Jack Frew. Hello, and welcome to the fourth Laravel News Podcast. In today's episode, we're going to talk about Fallout 4, Homestead, a few Laravel packages, and uh, some of the stuff we are currently working on. I'm Eric Barnes. And I'm Jack Frew. Thanks, everybody. The lead story today, worldwide developer productivity comes to a screeching halt with the release of Bethesda Softworks Fallout 4 for the Xbox One, PlayStation 4, and the PC. Eric, I know you're not a big gamer, and I'm not either, but I got to tell you, my, my son was eagerly awaiting this thing for weeks and weeks. I know Jeffrey Way is a big Fallout fan. I saw some stuff on, on Twitter from him. Have you uh, have you been impacted by the, by this at all? Like, did, did people at Userscape just stop answering email this week on Tuesday when this thing came out? No. <laughs> Chris is a big gamer at work, but uh, I believe he hasn't even started playing it yet. Um, been so busy with uh, with everything else, and everybody else has kids and family, so we don't have time to actually play video games anymore, which is unfortunate. I had an original Xbox, like with the first Halo, and I would play it all the time. And then I got married, and then it kind of just lost interest in it. So I haven't really played anything since then, except for little iOS games, which is what I like to do. (laughs) You've started doing some reviews of those iOS games, right? Yes. Well, what it is, is I've got two little little girls, and they're uh, five and six, and they've been coming to me and, and downloading all these games, and they're like, Daddy, can we buy this? You know, and and they're buying, they're getting all these free games with in-app purchases, and it's just so annoying. I hate the in-app purchase. So I I started a little medium publication to to review games that did not offer in-app purchases. Um, But the problem is, is they like these games that are like cooking games and these like really weird games that don't have a real big market, I guess. And every game in the whole category is free with in-app purchases. So it's like, I can't find anything that's worthwhile for, to get for them. I didn't mind the in-app purchase when it was like, you know, you, you get the game and, and for $3 more, you can buy like four levels. But what's going on now, it's almost like extortion, right? Is these, these games, you know, it's like, uh, like there'd be some kind of, you know, city building kind of game or something. And it'll be like, you know, you're going to start building your house, but it's going to take eight hours to complete. Or for like 500, you know, happy coins, it can be done right now. So your kid comes to you and they're like, I want to buy 20,000 happy coins. It's only five bucks. Right. But they burn through that like so quick that you're, you know, you're like, you're like, you immediately, you're like, I see where this is going. You're going to spend, you're going to spend $200 playing this little, you know, Sim City clone or whatever. Right. Um, I remember, do you know the game, The Sims? Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. My daughter wanted to play The Sims on her iPad, and uh, and it was I, I think it was The Sims. I hope I'm not misspeaking here. And it was the same thing. It had all of this uh, uh, like in-app purchase kind of stuff. And I was like, no, 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 we're not going to do that. So we ended up putting uh, the regular Sims on the computer for. Her. I went and bought that at like Target or something uh, because that's you know you buy it once and you're done with it, right? She can play it, and you know uh, she's occasionally pestered me for like an, an expansion pack, but I don't mind paying for an expansion pack. What I mind paying for is like oh. I need, you know, fake Sims dollars so I can buy Sim groceries so my Sim kid doesn't die. You know, like, that's not right. What it reminds me of is like, well, you're old enough to remember, like in the 80s, maybe early 90s, how the 1-900 numbers were so popular. You call it, you call in and it's like $2 a minute or whatever. 
And then so the kids would call in and get like game tips or whatever. And then the parents would get the phone bill at the end of the month for like $500. That never actually happened to me, but it's, yeah, it's funny. And it's funny that you mentioned that. So years ago, uh, I don't know if this might've been before your time, Eric, there was a software store called Egghead Software. Do you remember that? Uh, I do not, no. So in the like early days of like the PC back when like the Commodore 64 was on store shelves and the Apple II and stuff like that. There was this place called Egghead Software, and I got a job working there in high school, which was amazing because you could you could like try out anything that they sold. So it was like a kid in a candy store. Um, and I remember we used to sell hint books. They used to sell these hint books for games, and it was like you know, so you'd buy the game, it'd be like 40, 50 bucks, and then you'd turn around and like you'd buy the the hint book. One of the games which might ring a bell with people, there was a game called King's Quest. It must have been before my time. It probably was, yeah. So. It was really clever. They had these little like decoder, like, uh, you know, sometimes you find them in kids' toys at McDonald's or something where like the the book, you'd open it up and it would have like this kind of gray print. And then the answer would be buried underneath like some red like patchwork that you couldn't really easily read. But then they gave you this like clear plastic red sheet that you held over it and that hid the red stuff so you could read the answer. Yeah. The decoder. Yeah. Yeah. So that's probably enough about games. So next up, we have uh, Homestead. We talked about it last week, and uh, we were trying to get you converted over. Yeah, yeah. So so you tried it this week? So tell me how it went. Yeah, I got Homestead installed. I live to tell about it. Uh, it really, I hate to say this, it was not as hard as I thought it was going to be. You know, the, the documentation on Laravel.com has something like 20 steps, and I don't know why, but 20 steps just seemed like uh, so much work. You know, when it came down to it, it wasn't bad. I even used that VMware connector that... Uh, that Vagrant sells on their website. And that worked pretty well for me. I had one issue come up where the shared folder thing didn't work at first. There was something, something kind of, I don't know what it was. You know, I think I even like, I wrote them or I texted somebody and like, by the time, like I got an answer back, I had rebooted the machine overnight kind of thing. And then everything just worked perfectly after that. So uh, really it was pretty good. The experience of using it was pretty quick too. One thing I can give, so if you're listening to this and you're doing this a little tip, uh, in the documentation, it tells you to make an alias. Uh, what it doesn't tell you in the documentation, at least on the Mac, is if you just type in the command they give you, alias, that's only good until you reboot your machine. So I ended up having to put it in like the bash, I don't know if it was like the bash RC file or something, you know, somewhere I had to put it in because every time I would go back to it, my alias would be gone and I'd have to go back to the documentation and figure out what I was supposed to type in. But uh, yeah, it's pretty quick. I'm now a happy Homestead user. And I have to say, uh, at least on OS X, uh, you know, it's pretty painless. I still, uh, if you're not familiar with Homestead, we probably should have started with this. It's a virtual machine that's pre-set up with all of your Laravel stuff. And, and most people probably know this. Uh, what I did not know as a non-Homestead user, I didn't know what the process was going to feel like. Okay. And one of the things, for example, I use PHP Storm. And the PHP Storm folks have been pretty adamant for years that you have to edit files that are on your local machine. They don't open remote files. And actually, I think nowadays they might even, but but it's not like, like in the old days, there was this tool called Coda and you could open up like your FTP site and you could basically edit live on your production server and stuff like that. And uh, PHP Storm, which is the editor I use, uh, wants everything to be local. So I wasn't sure, like, am I going to be editing files local and then have to copy them up to the server every time I make a change and all that stuff. And Eric, you already know this, but the way it worked out is, uh, you know, you just get a directory on your machine and I don't know what magic is happening behind the curtain, but they're a hundred percent synced up with what's, uh, what, with what Homestead is using. So, you know, when you're opening uh, PHP storm, for example, it's just editing local files, right? So that part was pretty easy. Um, SSHing into it, pretty easy, uh, accessing it, uh, as a website was also pretty easy because that's all, you know, they, they give you like a host entry to put in your host file. Uh, and you just bring it up in a browser on your Mac, right? And 
And I again, I bring this up because uh, a couple of years ago, I had set up a Ubuntu machine for doing some development, right? Well, when I was on that machine, like I was actually like, that was a full GUI. I was running PHP Storm there and I was running the browser there and, and I hadn't really kind of mapped all the stuff so that I could get to it from the Mac and it made things, you know, it was a little clunky, right? Uh, this was a much better experience. So uh, folks, my plea to you, you know, as if you've listened to the first four episodes of this, including this one, you know that I am not the most advanced developer in the world and I figured this out. So if I figured it out, I am 100% confident that you can figure it out and, uh, and please give Homestead a try. I do think it's going to make the rest of your development uh, a lot easier. And, and Eric, I think the thing I'm looking forward to more than anything is just the consistency between what I develop on my Homestead machine and what goes into my DigitalOcean site through Laravel Forge, right? Because I think they're built with the same scripts and everything. So there won't be any surprises there, which uh, which is something that I've you know I've had in the past. So uh, thanks, Eric, for getting on my case for that. <laughs> Sometimes there's nothing like a little public humiliation to uh, to motivate somebody to do the right thing. So I appreciate that. Awesome. Yes. And uh, speaking of Homestead, so announced today, November 13th um, on a Friday, the new Homestead Vagrant Box is available and it now includes MySQL 5.7 and Node 5.0. So all you have to do is run Vagrant Box update and you will get the latest version. Wow. So like I just did all this work and now it's already obsolete is what you're telling me, huh? Right. Yeah. But it's just those three words and then you're back up. You're up to date. So those were vagrant box update? Vagrant box update. Yeah. Here's a question. When I do that, is it going to wipe out my box? I guess it doesn't really matter. Does it matter? Because the code itself isn't really on the box. Right. Everything's local. So basically what you're, what it would do is like, say, if you reprovision or anything like that, then it just, it, you know, it takes your box down and brings it back up. The only thing that you're ever actually possible to lose would be like your your vhost and your databases. But as long as you're using Laravel with the migrations and seedings and all that stuff, you, you don't really ever have to worry about losing anything anyway. Well, what about like data? Like, so if I've got a you know database on there um, and it's got like a bunch of data that I maybe you know put in manually or didn't use the seeding process for. Do you know if this update is going to, is it just going to take my existing stuff and upgrade it? Or is it actually going to like provision it all from scratch? It should just update it if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Because I know I ran this a few times and, and not lost stuff. So to be safe, you can always, you know, export all your databases. There's there's actually a tutorial online with uh, just a SSH and N and then running a MySQL dump on all your databases. Oh, okay. Um, I'll put that up in the show notes. Yeah, that'd be good. You can run that beforehand just to make sure you're not going to lose anything that that you really want to keep or whatever. Okay, and uh, just just to put some closure on this, I tried just now uh, doing the upgrade, and it did in fact uh, overwrite the databases. So you definitely want to make a copy of that data in your databases if there's uh, if there's anything there that's important. Thanks for pointing that out. I'm I'm kind of like excited and let down at the same time, right? I finally got this homestead working, and then you're like, oh, there's a new version, like as of today. Like, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you don't you don't actually have to update if you if you don't feel like it. Um, it's just those two new features, uh, which is you know the MySQL five point seven. I think one of the big features coming to it is JSON column types. Oh yeah, I heard that. So you can like store data, store data as JSON, and then uh, the node is just kind of like for your npm. Does uh, does five seven also have some performance improvements? I do not know. I haven't read much about it yet. I thought I read something in the last week about the MySQL team and they had hit some ridiculous new milestone about the number of like transactions per second that they were able to achieve. It's seeing some pretty nice, uh, pretty nice gains. 
you know, across the board, as well as some very nice scalability, right? The ability to throw more processors at it and get more power from it. So uh, pretty cool, I think. Pretty cool. Mm -hmm, for sure. All right. Well, let's uh, move on to, um, since we're talking about server stuff, uh, Mike Bronner from uh, his new site, sysopsforlaravel.com. He created a new tutorial on setting up uh, Let's Encrypt on Forge. Have you seen that? I did. You uh, you sent me that link, and uh, I, I looked it over. It's pretty neat. So Let's Encrypt is a free SSL certificate, right? And the, the one thing that kind of caught me, um, I don't know if I'd say caught me off guard, but kind of made me say, like, ah, well, maybe this is okay. Maybe it's not. I think you're limited to, like, 90 days at a time on these free certificates, right? So for some folks... 90 days at a time to have to do something over and over again is way better than paying money out of your pocket, right? Uh, if you were setting up, for example, a, you know, a, a machine to show off at a, you know, in a demo at a conference and you only want that website for, you know, a weekend or something, that'd be, that'd be good. Uh, if you're a college student and you've spent every last dollar on getting in the door at the college and you have nothing left for SSL certificates, uh, that's not bad. The one thing I, I have used, Eric, uh, that website Namecheap, are you familiar with them? Yeah, actually, Namecheap is where I got my SSL certificate for uh, Laravel News. Yeah, they're they're really affordable. I was really really uh, surprised and impressed with them. And I think I don't know, my certificate was like ten bucks or something. It wasn't that expensive. So you know, that's why I look at this and I say, well, if it's you know, if it's free, but I got to do it four times a year, I'm not sure if that for me at least, if that is worth saving ten bucks on, right? Right. Which I do believe this Let's Encrypt will eventually have automatic renewals. But um, I don't think that's in yet. Yeah, they mentioned that. Yeah, they mentioned they were. Yeah, they were hoping to have that. But uh, then you also have to kind of wonder, like, what's the reason that they only do ninety days? Like, is there is there some angle to this? Right? Are they trying to sell you certificates that do more than ninety days? Like, what? Why would you automatically renew every ninety days as opposed to just buying a certificate for a year or two at a time? Right? Um, I was I anyway, was assuming spam or like people trying to take advantage of the service. But oh, that could be. Yeah, that could be. Anyway, yeah, this Mike Browner, he's he's got himself a pretty nice setup here. I mean, this website and all of his articles and stuff. I think we talked about him on the last episode, didn't we? Yeah, we did. Yeah, or one of one of the last few. We we I know we did. Awesome. So uh, let's see here. What else do we have on on the docket today, Eric? Well, um, since we're talking about server stuff again, I figured we could talk about uh, Chris, um, Fideloper. He is creating a new uh, service. It's called uh, Deploy, and he's creating a whole bunch of videos for um, how to basically deploy your app with uh, basically go from no deployment to full on automated deployments, you know, going through, you know, how to, how to set up your server, how to SSH and copy files, the whole deployment process. And then of course, automating the deployments. So that should be pretty cool. It's coming out. Um, it'll be next week, which I think he said November 17th. So definitely check that out. If you want to learn more about deployments. Yeah, that sounded pretty neat. I, uh, you know, I know that that sounds, in a way, it sounds like it's very similar to, is it Envoyer, the, the service that Taylor offers? Um, but I think it's kind of nice that, you know, that you, you know there's there's two offerings, right? You can you can go with Envoyer or you can go with doing it, you know, yourself. Chris kind of shows you step-by-step step how you would do it if you're going to do it yourself. And Taylor has obviously got the kind of turnkey solution if you if you just want someone else to deal with the details of that. Uh, so, you know, definitely... Uh, it's definitely kind of neat to have the, the you know both both of those choices available for doing these deployments. And you know, if if you don't understand how Envoy works, then this would be a good a good guide and resource to actually you know to 
increase your knowledge of the whole system. You know, even if you go with Envoyer because it saves so much time and, and hassle, then at least you can, uh, you can get the knowledge behind it. Sure. Is there, uh, is there a website people should go to for that? His is uh, deploy.serversforhackers.com. Okay. And it's, it, is, it is actually different from Envoyer. You know, this, this goes a lot more in depth on stuff. It uses Fabric and Node Python. It's, it's got a whole bunch of other technologies and stuff in, in, in with it. But, uh, but definitely check it out. Awesome. And yeah, and I didn't realize that he was going to go into some more detail uh, of maybe things that aren't being done in Envoyer. So uh, pretty cool. I hope, he's, I hope he's successful with that. I know he puts a lot of work into those things. Yes, for sure. So next up, let's talk about some packages. We have a tutorial you sent me about writing your first Laravel package, and you went through the steps on that. Yeah, I found this article the other day, and it was it was step by step showing you how to do a package, and and kind of like my experiences with Homestead, like when I followed the step by step guide, it wasn't that hard. Like it's actually pretty easy to make a package. I'll go so far as to say it was so easy to make a package that I think a lot of people listening to this, if you're developing stuff for your own use you might benefit by throwing a module of that like into a package, right? Like kind of modularizing it so that you can then bring that package into other things that you do. And I know some of the advanced developers out there do it, but it's not the kind of thing I would have considered doing myself because of like where I, where I picture my skill level to be. But it's not, it really wasn't that hard. And this thing walks you step-by-step step through it. So anyway, that was my experience, uh, you know, kind of starting uh, this whole package thing. I thought that was good. Now, uh, Eric, you um, you had a couple other packages that you found this week that you wanted to chat about, right? Yeah, there was one called Captain Hooks. And, and what it is, not to be confused with Captain Crunch. I was just going to say Captain Crunch. You stole my line. <laughs> <laughs> what Captain uh, Hook does is basically it, it allows you to build webhooks into your application simply and easily. You know, you just... Uh, you know, run a few artisan commands and then it automatically hooks into Eloquent and then it pushes them out. So it's it's really kind of neat. So it, it took me a second, like when I saw the word webhooks, I was like, my first thing was like, what, what is this webhooks, right? Um, so as I understand it, what this does is you can basically get your Laravel project to invoke a web browser request to any website you want to based on some kind of thing happening, right? Like an event or something like that. And that this package allows you to do that in kind of a systematic, like well thought out way, right? right. Like you, you could, in theory, you could probably hack together some code inside of uh, any place in Laravel that goes out and requests data from a web server, right? But this just kind of systemizes it. Um, I saw that it said it did a, does it do a, does it do a post or does it do a get? Most webhooks are posts, so it would do a post out to whatever um, URL. Is that is that a reliable mechanism? Like, is does does it get something back from the post that says like, "Got it, we're all we're all good to go," or is that kind of you know what I mean? Well, typically, like a webhook doesn't care about any of that. All it cares is it just you you know. So so for instance, pretend we're working with Stripe and somebody makes a payment. Stripe's webhook will send back to our server saying, hey, the payment was successful. Right. Stripe itself doesn't care what we do with that webhook, doesn't care if we even get it. But it will, and that's, I guess, my point is, shouldn't Stripe care about whether we get it? Because if we're sitting there waiting for Stripe to come back and say, I got the payment, he's good to go, and let's say I'm not going to ship a product until I get that, the, like, I would want that, that two-way, like, I would want that conversation to be, verifiable like that it, that it finished you know what i mean like i would want to know 
that you know that the other person got it like, kind of like when, when your wife tells you okay eric i need you to go to the store and you need to pick up milk and you're like yeah yeah and then she's like now eric you need to get two percent milk and you're like yeah yeah and then she's like okay repeat what kind of milk you're gonna get and you're like chocolate and she's like no it's got to be two percent milk right and then she knows you understand the command right like that <laughs> you know right but but see they don't really care about that um and if you take stripe for example they will send it and it, as long, if you send us as long as the url they sent to uh, returns a 200 header okay then they consider you've got it and it's all on you after that. You know, I think the 200 is probably good enough, though. You know what I mean? Like, at least they know that you that, that connection was made. Right. And if they don't get a 200, then I think they try the next day. Okay. And then the next day. And then they'll try up to, like, three times. And then they, they'll just kind of cancel it out. But, of course, you know, setting it up on your own site, you can kind of do all this however you you prefer to do it. Yeah. So the 200, to me, that's the equivalent if you're an iPhone user. Uh, when I send somebody a text message and it says delivered, or maybe when it says red, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, if, if you're using the milk example, if she sends you a text message and it says 2% and it says red and you, she knows you read it, like that's all she can hope for. Right now, if you go to the store and you're like, I'm getting some chocolate milk, then, you know, that's on you at that point. Right. But, but she got the message to you and she knows that you saw the message that she put, put out there. So, um, you know, and, and I, I should probably preface this. There's, Nothing I know about Eric that would indicate to me that he would choose one type of milk over another. Uh, this is not an argument about what kind of milk is better. So I uh, just, just want to get that out there. And we all know chocolate milk is better. I think so. Do you guys do you guys have Oberweiss Dairy down there, or are they like kind of a Chicago area chain? I've never never heard of that. There's a there's a dairy up here in Chicago called Oberweiss Dairy, and they they serve milk in these like old school glass bottles. They actually will deliver milk to your house. Their chocolate milk is like so thick and so delicious that it like borderlines on being like a chocolate shake. Like, I'm not really sure like what, what's in there. I mean, hopefully it's milk, but uh, yeah, I, I can't argue with Eric on this one. Chocolate milk is delicious. Exactly. Jack, you are putting on a, an event called PHP Saturday. Is that right? Yeah. So uh, for a little bit of background there, for those of you who, who know my background, I'm actually a SharePoint guy by trade. And in the SharePoint world years ago, some people started an event called SharePoint Saturday. And what's happened with SharePoint Saturday is it's just exploded into this thing that it's held in multiple cities. All of them are done by volunteers. They've had like, you know, they've had over 100 of these things, you know, and they've been in, in cities across the United States. They've been international and all that stuff. And I thought it might be neat to see if we could start something similar, you know, kind of centered around PHP and, and things like that. So I looked, phpsaturday.com wasn't taken, uh, at PHP Saturday wasn't taken. So I thought, well, that'd be kind of cool. So the, the first event I'm planning is going to be up in Chicago because that's where I live. And it's going to be Friday, April 30th. And uh, what I'm looking for right now is anybody who would want to help hold the event. Uh, we definitely need speakers and we'll definitely need people to come attend. So right now, if you just visit phpsaturday.com, I'll have more information there as I get it. Uh, we've got the venue already. It's going to be held at DeVry University in Addison. It's right by the highway. That's where we've held uh, some SharePoint Saturday events in the past. It's super easy to get to, which I really love. I love that you can just, you know, you're on the highway, you get off the highway, and it's like right there. So I think it should I think it should be a good opportunity. One of the things I was thinking, too, is I remember reading on Twitter the other day, somebody was complaining that they had submitted to speak at an event and they got turned down, you know, that they weren't accepted, right? And with PHP Saturday being a new event that a lot of people haven't heard of, this could be a great opportunity to 
present at an event if you have, you know, if you've maybe either never presented before and you're looking to kind of get your feet wet or, you know, whatever, because I don't think the competition will be as high as it is for something that's maybe more well-known, right? So the the flip side is that the idea, just I, I probably should have prefaced this, SharePoint Saturday is a very unique event in that they, those events are free. They end up getting sponsors to pay the bill for like lunch and for the venue and all that stuff. PHP Saturday, I don't think I'm going to be able to do it for free because I don't know that there are that many sponsors like there are like in the, you know, the Fortune 500 world, right? It's easy to get sponsors. But I'm I'm going to try to make this like a fairly affordable event. Like I haven't decided on the pricing yet, but I'm thinking it might be maybe it'll be $25 or maybe it'll be $50, but 25 if you sign up early or something like certainly cheap enough that, you know, anybody doing this stuff, you know, should be able to afford it. But the, the flip side of that is what that means is, you know, I, I I don't expect to have enough money, for example, to fly Taylor Otwell out, right? Like that's probably not going to happen with this, right? So it'll probably be a good local event if you live within driving distance to Chicago and you, you don't mind coming out, you know, that, that, that could be a great, great thing. So Anyway, thanks for listening to my little pitch on that. Yeah, it's uh, it's you know it's neat. It's kind of like a you know the more meetups and so forth around, and it's nice that you live in a close enough to a big city to where you can you can actually have the enough people to draw in for that. Oh, for sure, yeah. Um, the other thing I want to talk about, we have a couple more reviews on the uh, App Store. There was one from someone named Bluefish nineteen sixty nine in the UK App Store, and he wrote the variety of topics and subjects within them are so refreshing. Keep up the good work. So thanks, Bluefish. We appreciate that uh, that positive feedback. And then in the US App Store, there was somebody named, I'm hoping I say this right, Verips, V-E-R-R-I-P-S, writes, great source of news and updates on Laravel. Thanks again for your five-star reviews. It's nice to get that feedback and to know that folks are out there and, and you know benefiting from this. And speaking of feedback, if you have any feedback for the podcast, you can reach us both either on Twitter or we have that podcast at laravel-news.com email address too, which you can send in comments for. Eric, anything else this week? I do not think so. I think that should wrap wrap it up. Okay. Well, then I think that's that's the news for this week. Thanks, everybody, for listening in, and uh, we'll see you again in two weeks. Yep. Have a great week. This concludes this episode of the Laravel News Podcast. If you like the show, please rate it five stars on iTunes. If you have feedback for the podcast, please email us at podcast at laravel-news.com. Thanks for listening.